0: Hey, good afternoon. Um, I, uh, as you may know, uh, my wife Hannah and I have a daughter. Um, she is nine years old, will be turning 10 this year. And um, it's been a really interesting last couple of years with her, um, especially just something about fourth grade. of um, feel like we're starting to get like insight into like trajectories deep into the future. In particular, lately, I have been more and more convinced that I may be raising a lawyer. Um, I, yes, she likes to argue, but it's not just that she likes to argue. It's, I, I suppose I could also be raising a philosopher. Um, she is highly invested in sort of definitional questions. Let me give you a couple examples. This very morning, I, um, uh, got up after she did and, um, Well, and Hannah wasn't up yet, so Junia was awake alone, and she was in the living room using her laptop, doing something or other, and next to her, wide open, was a very large bag of potato chips. So I walked up to her, and I, you know, I thought I asked a reasonable question, which was, Junia, did you have potato chips for breakfast today? And she said, no. And I said, but those appear to be potato chips and I'm pretty sure you ate some. And she said, well, sure, but not for breakfast. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. What did you have for breakfast? I haven't had breakfast yet. (laughs) It's like, hmm. Okay. Right. Like, so like, all right. So now we're into like a definitional question about like when breakfast is eaten. Like, I mean, is it, I, it never occurred to me that perhaps the first food you ate in the morning might not be breakfast. She's like, no, 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 I'm going to have breakfast. This is just a snack. Um, <laughs> all right, touche. Um, or, or another example from a few weeks back. Um, Junia, uh, it, was, it, was, uh, an, it was Thursday night, and um, I was just asking her, hey, Junia, do you have, uh, is your homework done? Just want to make sure your homework. I know uh, you've got homework uh, various times. Some of it's due on Fridays. Is your homework done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the homework is totally done. Sweet. Awesome. Do what you want to uh, for the rest of the evening. All good. The next morning, she wakes up in an absolute panic. Dad, 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 dad. I need to read like two chapters of this book so that we can talk about it in class today or else my teacher is going to kill me. Junia. I believe last night I asked you if you had done your homework. And she's like, dad, I did my homework. Like there, and she showed me there's a packet and on the top of it, it says Junia's homework. And it was complete. And she began to explain to me, and in fact, we reviewed this. I told her I was going to be sharing these stories. We reviewed this again today, and she um, insisted, she reproduced again for me her legal argument. It was that um, homework is this specific packet. What she had not done in that instance was some schoolwork that had not gotten done at school and needed to be done before going back to school. But that was not homework. That was schoolwork that wasn't yet done. Schoolwork that needed to be completed at home, but not homework. <laughs> I have to say, it is it is it is like keeping me on my toes, um, like helping me sort of like think, um, keep my thinking limber. But it also makes me feel like when every any time I enter into one of these conversations, like I like I like need to have my ducks in a row, right? Like I need to have my like definitions set. I need to have all my categories sort of sorted out and well defined. Um, and I have to say, like, I, you know, I, I once thought that maybe I would be an attorney. I I no longer think that um, that maybe I would be able to cut it in the law. I find it exhausting. Um, but I'm not sure that staying out of the legal profession can spare me from this vibe, this sort of like feeling, this need to like have it all together. It's actually there's a version of this that shows up in in academia where I do work. You sort of, one can feel, especially in sort of engaging in, um, especially once you publish something, right? You sort of can't show your weaknesses. You can't admit that you've got doubts about your own argument. If you don't believe your argument, then who on earth would? I think it's the same reason that I just, I just can't get into Twitter because of this vibe, this dynamic, right? Twitter demands that you show no weakness, or they will eat you alive, right? Like the whole Twitter verse exists in order to like, like fish out, sniff out little bits of weakness, little bits of imperfection, little bits of impu- in, impurity, little bits of vulnerability, and then exploit it mercilessly. And so we tell ourselves, I think in various ways in our culture, we tell ourselves in response then, I just can't be vulnerable. Often this impulse um, comes from a previous thought, one that we talked about last week, this thought that, like, I have to be enough, and so I can't be vulnerable. All too often we think that we have to be all-sufficient, all-capable, we have to be enough, and the moment that we come face-to-face with the fact that we're not, that we actually have genuine vulnerabilities, we know what we have to do. We need to hide it. We need to cover it up. We don't let anyone know. We can't be vulnerable. And so this Lent, we're looking at a whole cascade of these sorts of ideas, lies, we think, that ultimately lead us away from the good things that God has for us. And in the face of these lies, we're trying to do something, well, vulnerable. We're trying to repent. We're trying to turn away from these lies to change our mindset, to lean into the truth about ourselves, about the world, and about God, because that's where the good stuff of life is. That's where it's at in God's presence when we've sort of cut away these lies that keep us away. And so to get to that place, we need to cut through these lies that, like this thought about vulnerability, these, these lies that, that don't seem like lies to us, they just seem like obvious facts of strategies, survival strategies for the world that we live in. And so this week, we're, we we're going to be looking at a, a character from the Bible who was willing to be vulnerable, um, and that willingness to be vulnerable made all the difference in terms of finding his way into the good things that God had for him. And so as we, as, we, as we head into that, I'd, I'd love it if you join me as we, we pray for God to be with us, as we read and think together. Holy Spirit, we thank you that in you we can be as we are. We thank you that you are not surprised about how we are and who we are and how we um, how we fall short of our own standards and, other, and the standards of others, even how we sh- fall short from uh, the life that you would want for us. We just pray that as we read and as we think together here this afternoon, that you would be present to us, that you would be speaking to us, speaking your love to us, that we could find in your presence the sort of foundation for us to be real, be honest, be vulnerable before one another. Thank you for every good gift. Amen. The story we're looking at comes from Luke chapter 19. It begins this way: He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through it. And a man was there named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. Now, first things first, we need to understand a few things about tax collectors you have to understand um, at, at this time, uh, Palestine, the sort of land of the Jewish people, was under Roman occupation. In fact, that name, Palestine, was the name that the the Romans gave it, and um, and, and and the taxes that were being collected here were not like to be used in Judea necessarily. They were Roman taxes. And so the Jewish people were living under a foreign occupation and to be a tax collector was to be involved in collecting taxes for Caesar for the Roman authorities. And so you were working for a foreign power. You were betraying your people. But it was it was it was rougher than that because the job actually didn't come with a salary. Um, it, the thought was that uh, there was a certain amount that you needed to collect. And uh, if you needed to, like, eat and feed yourself, um, you would just take more than, um, than you, like, needed to, needed to get. And whatever, whatever more you could get, that would be, that would be your, your payment for your work. So you would be not just betraying your people, you would be defrauding them as you betrayed them. Um, It was was a bad scene. And Zacchaeus, we're told, is not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. That may be important for at least one point later. Now, all of this is in the background of Zacchaeus's risk to literally go out on a limb, as it were, for Jesus. But he does it. He does it, and Jesus responds. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him, and all who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. So Zacchaeus dares to be vulnerable, and the response of the crowd is predictable. You show vulnerability, people go for the jugular, and Jesus' embrace of Zacchaeus only makes, doesn't do anything to vindicate Zacchaeus, it actually just makes Jesus guilty by association, right? Again, I I take it from like the Twitter verse, this is all familiar, And just a side note, while it might strike us as odd that Jesus is essentially inviting himself over for dinner, in the context, this was just a way of Jesus sort of standing with Zacchaeus, showing that he was willing to have dinner with him, willing to share a table with him. And yet, in this, it's all sort of maybe going in certain ways, Um, I mean, it's good he got this embrace from Jesus, but it's maybe going in terms of the public eye as badly as he feared. But Zacchaeus actually doubles down on vulnerability, and he starts talking about what everyone is thinking about as they're grumbling. Namely, they're thinking about his money, how he got it, and what he's going to do with it. And Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, Half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay him back four times as much. And then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This whole exchange is crazy vulnerable. It's all happening in public, in front of the crowd, and and the text says that this last part, I mean, it, it says that Jesus is speaking to Zacchaeus, but it's clear enough that Jesus is, he may be addressing Zacchaeus, but he's addressing Zacchaeus in public, and for the benefit of the crowd, even referring to Zacchaeus in the third person, as he's allegedly speaking to Zacchaeus. Like, this is clearly, like, he's like, he's like looking at Zacchaeus, but like, he is addressing the group, because he wants the group to understand something about Zacchaeus. And that's the point, right? In response to Zacchaeus' declaration about how how he's going to deal with his betraying and defrauding his people, Jesus is restoring Zacchaeus to that same people. Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham, the son of the one who knew himself as sinner and nevertheless chosen by God. Both of those things at once is that Abraham, this, this, the, he's, a, he's a son of, of Abraham, the father of the Jewish people whom Zacchaeus had betrayed and defrauded. All to say, if Zacchaeus is vulnerable, by the end of the story, we should have no doubts in our minds. It was worth it, and it couldn't, it, so much of what's happening there is so social, it couldn't have happened unless it happened in public. He had to climb up that tree. Jesus had to see him. He had to have this exchange with Jesus, and it had to happen in the public eye because what God wanted to do with him had something to do with his standing in this community. I take it that we see Zacchaeus being vulnerable in at least three crucial ways. In three crucial ways he's 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 just going right. He's just naming this as a lie and pushing through. First of all, Zacchaeus is willing to be vulnerable about his limits. He's he's short. Um, I, now I know I know this isn't the most like important or like theological thing going on in this story, but it's real, right? I mean like, dude is short. Um, and, and it could be actually because maybe he's super young, um, which is, which would be really interesting how he came to be cheap. Sam- anyway, there's, there's some scholarship about this. But um, in any case, climbing up into a tree for a better look sort of like puts the spotlight on, not just on him, but on his shortness. And it isn't the most dignified perch, But it's the one that he's got. It's the one that he has to have because it's the one that, given his limits, it's the one that he needs. And so Zacchaeus makes a choice to be vulnerable about his limits. We, I take it, are not so good with this sort of vulnerability. Caught up in the lie that we need to be all sufficient, we are inclined to deny all sorts of basic limits in our lives as if it were somehow news or an embarrassment to admit that we, my goodness, have only 24 hours each day like everyone else, that we actually need to sleep, that we have to eat, that we can only be one place at one time, that we can only do one thing at a time. Some of you, I know, will deny that. To admit that sometimes there are simply boundaries to what is possible for us. It can feel super vulnerable simply to admit that we have limits of any sort, much less to admit other sorts of limits that we may have. Limits of particularity, that we have a particular gender identity that shapes our perspective, that we have a particular cultural location that blinds us to certain realities while giving us tremendous insights and resources in other respects. Limits of our personal talents. I have some talents and definitely not others. Limits that come from our personal narratives. Limits that come from disabilities or illness. We could go on. All of these limits are actually simply what they are. Limits that in one way or another trace back to the sort of limits that we started with. Limits of finitude. Limits of simply being what we are. Creatures bounded by space and time, particular to our own stories, our own locations, our own bodies, our own moments in time. For some reason in our culture, it can actually feel vulnerable simply to admit that we have limits of any sort. But if we don't, if we don't admit that, we can't see Jesus. Zacchaeus only gets access to the one he's seeking because he's willing to be vulnerable about his limits. So we should ask ourselves, let me ask you, what are you seeking? What limits do you have? Would it be worth being vulnerable about your limits in order to find what you're after. some of you are here today, and um, I I think this first one is really worth thinking about. I mean, it's one of the striking things that commentators will talk about in this passage. It says Zacchaeus was seeking after Jesus. We'll talk in a second that he had reasons to think that this might go well. He had reasons to think it might not. At any rate, the, the, that's what's got him on a really good path to start with. He's seeking after Jesus. And some of us are here today and might think, oh, yeah, I know exactly what I'm seeking after. Um, but my hunch is for many of us, if we were honest about it, what and who we're seeking after is probably not Jesus. Some 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 of us might might say that and need to like deal with that potential gap. Some of us are here and and you're not sure what you're after. You're after trying after like trying to figure out what maybe what life is for. You've got a big decision in front of you. Whatever it is, Um, I, I think all of this sort of vulnerability has as an assumption that we're sort of seeking after Jesus. What are you seeking? And if you're here today and you don't yet know sort of what you think about Jesus and whether Jesus is worth seeking after, I just want to let you know, like, you're in a great place. Like, that's, that's a fine place, and the fact that you're here and asking that question, like, I think God's going to honor that. The extent to which we say that we're after Jesus, but we're not actually seeking after Jesus, I think we should spend some time with that, pray about that. As we get clarity on that, we should ask ourselves what limits we have. And would it be worth being vulnerable about our limits in order to find what we're after, find who we're after? Second, Zacchaeus is willing to admit that he might be wrong. And not just wrong about any old thing. Even more vulnerably, he's willing to admit that he himself wondered whether there might be something to the slander going, on, going, uh, going around about him. Right? That's a particular sort of vulnerability to own up to. So remember, as a tax collector, he was working for the foreign occupying power, betraying his own people, and charging people more than the Romans demanded because he received no salary. He had to defraud people to make a living. I mean, that would be the sort of thing where you might really be inclined to think that you have to project a public persona that admits no doubts. I mean, this is the stuff that Twitter flame wars are made of. Right? Zacchaeus has taken a serious stand on the hot-button political issue of his day. He took the unpopular stand, he took it publicly, and he was profiting from it. And what's more, he had good reason to believe that he had probably gotten it wrong, this serious public stance that he had taken From even before Jesus' own ministry, during the ministry of John the Baptist, these popular religious teachers have been raising questions about tax collecting. John was offering a baptism of repentance, but that doesn't mean that he was gentle about it. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, "'You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come?' Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Remember from our story that Jesus affirms that exactly this about Zacchaeus, that he is a child of Abraham. For the people listening, forget stones. This is even even more impressive. Jesus is able to raise up children to Abraham even from, from among tax collectors. And in fact, just one verse later, the crowds uh, come to John the Baptist and ask him, what then should we do? That is one verse later from what we just read, um, back in chapter 3. What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors, and you can hear even Luke is incredulous as he's telling you, even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Now, recall that inasmuch as tax collecting didn't offer a salary, collecting no more than the amount prescribed meant working for free. And Zacchaeus, as a chief tax collector, couldn't even pass the buck to his superiors and saying like, well, it was prescribed to me to charge a little bit more than I was. No, he's, he's, he's the one making the call. He's the one setting the size of the grift. What a crazy, vulnerable thing to do to go seeking after Jesus who himself was baptized by John. And yet... Why does he do this? Well, he's not, he's not an idiot. He's got some reasons to be hopeful because Jesus has this other history too where Jesus has embraced tax collectors and sinners. He's eaten in their homes. He's called them to be his disciples. He's told parables just, just a chapter before. He told a parable in which a, 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 a tax collector is the hero. So Zacchaeus isn't totally nuts to think that he might get a warm reception, but it's a huge public risk. Admitting and going to see Jesus, the one who is seeking the lost, Zacchaeus is admitting that he himself is wondering whether he might not be lost, admitting that he might be wrong. And on this point, I take it his courage is an is even, even starker contrast to the way that we are often unwilling even to explore the possibility, even the possibility that we might be wrong much less that there might be something to the broad social critique that's coming our way. Especially when it comes to the ways that we participate in and benefit from huge systems of social injustice and inequity, as Zacchaeus did as a tax collector. Our instinct, I take it, isn't to choose vulnerability. It's to flee to defensiveness. We see this all around us. We see it all around us, and I'm going to have to ask your apologies, or give my apologies for a moment while I get vulnerable, because, like, I mean, as as a white person, there's an instinct to defensiveness whenever there's the slightest suggestion that I'm entangled in racism or maybe benefiting from it. As a man, there's an instinct to defensiveness when the claim comes my way that I may be blind to my own sexism and the ways that I benefit from sexist systems, patriarchal systems. As a straight person, there's a defensiveness that comes up when it's suggested that something I've said or done or not done is homophobic, that I benefit from ways that my sexual orientation gives me power in certain social spaces, even particularly in the church. To the extent that I benefit as a political progressive in a city and on a campus where being woke and inclusive wins you serious social capital, there's a natural defensiveness if anyone would claim that maybe we progressives aren't nearly as inclusive as we'd like to imagine ourselves in as much as we're constantly shaming people about their racism, sexism, and homophobia, and so on and so forth. As someone who benefits as a highly educated person in the shadow of Yale, I don't want to think carefully about whether we educated folks actually think that maybe we're just better than other people. What would it look like to go out on a limb and lay those vulnerable parts of ourselves before Jesus and in public? To admit readily and publicly as a straight white man, that I am actively asking Jesus to help me see the ways I interact with people of different races, different gender identities, different sexual orientations, to see my interactions and the benefit that I get from participating in unjust systems, see all those things the way that Jesus sees them. And, and I, and I, I want to do that in a way to be ready to repent, to change my mind and my actions accordingly. To give away what I have gained unjustly. To admit readily and publicly as a political progressive that I am actively asking Jesus to help me see the ways that I may, in my thoughts and words and deeds, deny the humanity of political conservatives under the guise of protesting their denial of the humanity of communities that I care about. And to be ready to repent, to give away the social, social virtue that I've gained. Not for doing anything, that's the way politics works these days. Um, you can just get virtue just for espousing the right positions, To admit readily and publicly as a highly educated person that I am actively seeking Jesus so that he can help me unlearn the arrogance that I learned alongside everything I love and treasure from my education. There's something super risky there for each of us, but I take it that in making ourselves vulnerable in this way, like Zacchaeus, we will find that we are opening ourselves up to the good things of God. We find ourselves welcomed into the people of God. And as we do, we'll find that we are simultaneously resisting the lie that Josh talked about last week, the lie that says, I have to be enough. You see, there's something about not just being publicly vulnerable, but being publicly vulnerable in the presence of Jesus. Where our lives, as we're willing to show them as they really are, can be reformed by Jesus' presence. Where our vulnerability can be met by Jesus' embrace. Where we can find against our fears, to the contrary, that we are, in fact, beloved children of God and members of the people of God. Does that make sense? Because you've got to hear this. Because if we just go out from this place and we say, like, oh, vulnerability is just good. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that's always the case. I think being vulnerable in the presence of Jesus is good. If we can intentionally put ourselves in a place where what we're saying is, I want you to, pub- I want you to know that I am putting myself in- before Jesus and inviting Jesus to come and do some work in my life. I think that's the sort of vulnerability we're after. So let me ask you, how are you benefiting from systems of injustice? Yeah, I would, you could spend a long time on that one. What would it look like for you to let people in your life know that you're actually seeking Jesus' correction in your life? Zacchaeus didn't show up to like give in to like the, the public rap against him. That, that wasn't the point. He showed up in order to lay his life bare before Jesus and sort of see how it went. And when it comes to those sorts of moments of conflict, when we're, if, if, we, if we go either route, if we're basically saying, well, okay, I've, I've received this public criticism. I either need to make sure, you know, I, if, if we run to defensiveness, we've lost Jesus. If we decide to like give in to like the pressure that we're feeling we've we've lost Jesus, right The, the thought is to take that pressure that yeah, that pressure and let it lead us to the faith to the feet of Jesus, lay our lives bare before him in the presence of others such that Jesus could place us where Jesus wants us, which is among the people of God. And when we don't know where the people of God are or what the way of the way of life of the people of God is, we seek Jesus and we lay our lives out and we say we're seeking we're seeking you. Third, and going out on that limb, Zacchaeus is also being vulnerable about one of his fears. One of his biggest fears, namely the one we just talked about, that he maybe he's feared that he might be seriously on the wrong track. In some ways, this is just the broader category to which the previous category belongs, right? So we just said it's particular, now we'll do the general. But Zacchaeus doesn't flinch. He's out on that limb, exposed and vulnerable, and it's clear enough to anyone with eyes to see, Zacchaeus is afraid he might have gotten one of the most important decisions in his life completely wrong decision to, like, engage in his line of work. Of course, another way to say this is that Zacchaeus is willing to be vulnerable about his sin, defrauding people. And, and, and this is huge, um, but Patrick's going to be giving a whole talk about that next week, so, <laughs> so we're not going to—we'll uh, we'll sa- we'll save that conversation for then. For now, let's leave it at fears. And I don't know about you, but my fears are some of the most difficult things for me to share, some of the most difficult things for me to be vulnerable vulnerable about, especially when the stakes are as high as they are for Zacchaeus. But when we dare to be vulnerable in front of people and in the presence of Jesus, we find that our fears are relieved. Many years ago, eight, nine years ago, something like that, maybe as many as 10 years ago now. Um, uh, we were early on uh, in, this This church was barely a, f- a couple years old, maybe, or maybe not even that, and um, we were um, hosting, um, we had some, some guests in from out of town, we were hosting a conference, it was called Life with a Living God, and we were um, leaning into the to the to the idea that we believed was real, into the reality that God is real and alive and at work in our midst, and we were um, learning how to hear God's voice. We were learning how to pray for the sick. We were learning how to how to uh, pray for folks that were experiencing um, demonic uh, intervention in their lives. And um, I mean, it was it was an intense weekend, and it was a, it was a weekend that pressed a whole lot of buttons for me as someone who. Like, I grew up in a church that certainly, like, like affirmed, like, the Holy Spirit, um, but in the church, I, I, don't know, I don't know when this was taught to me, but somehow for me, the Holy Spirit went in the same category with, like, the book of Revelation. It was like, like, you can't, like, decide that, like, Revelation, like, isn't in the Bible anymore, but, like, if you spend too much time thinking about it, like, things are going to get weird. And that was was basically like the approach of the Holy Spirit. Like definitely like three people of the Trinity. If you have no idea what these ideas are, that's fine. Um, But you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, good. We're on board with that for sure. But if you think too much about that, things are going to get weird. Um, and I was, I, you know, I was raised in a Swedish American church and, you know, not being weird was like seriously high value. Um, and, and, and plus I was a teenager um, at, in, in the, at the most formative moments of my time in that church and that was already a, a high value of mine. Um, so the Holy Spirit, I, I actually, I should say, I, I sort of still feel this way about the book of Revelation, um, but I, I, I've, I've changed some of my feelings about the Holy Spirit. Um, you can pray for me later about Revelation, or maybe you agree, and that helps you feel cool. All right, anyway, but point is, that weekend was really setting off some of these, some of these uh, sort of bells for me, um, but it was sort of turned around a bit. I, my, my hesitance all of a sudden, I was just feeling super condemned about we were praying and I, we were talking about, and it's, I mean, it's in the book, it talks about sort of faith and the role of faith maybe in and, um, and, and healing people and, oh, well, let's not get off on that, on that track, but I was, well, basically, I, I ended up in the place where I thought, you know what, um, if I show up to this healing service, like, no one's going to get healed God, like I'm I'm the problem here. I don't know if anyone's figured it out yet. But um yeah, maybe I just shouldn't show. I maybe have not mentioned yet that I was the lead pastor of the church in that moment. <laughs> okay. And so I I I mean, I, I went, I can I showed up, but we were praying before church. And I had a moment, right? And it was this moment, like, what's my posture going to be? Am I going to pretend to be totally cool with this? Sort of sitting here, sort of privately feeling condemned and like I might be the problem. Or I just go ahead and tell people exactly where I'm at. And I I, I, uh, I don't know any other way than, than in moments like that. Than just, I, so I just laid it out. I'm like, guys, like, I know. I'm, like, the pastor and stuff, and we're supposed to be doing this thing, but I'm just going to tell you where I'm at. Like, here's where I'm at. I almost didn't come today, um, because I just feel, like, I, I just feel really condemned. I, I think, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know what faith has to do with how all of this stuff works. I mean, I've always, my prayer's been, I believe, help my unbelief, and that's, that's where I'm at, and that's, like, all I've got today. Um... I, I'm willing to bail, like, if you think it's, like, right? And, but I shared that, right, and immediately, and it, and it was in the context of prayer. It was in the presence of God. It was in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living Christ. And in that moment, I received, right, just, like, all of this care, all of this love, all of this embrace, right? Like, no, 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 Matt, like, where you're at, like, that's, that's just real. And we're so, we're so glad that you're here. We're glad that you've been a part of, like, leading us here to this moment. Like, we're, we're all in, And we saw God's healing presence come in power in the midst of this space. Like the lead pastor has said, like, maybe (laughs) maybe it just like shouldn't show. Even this past week at home group. If you're not involved in a home group, I think this is one of the most important places where we regularly have an opportunity to be vulnerable, like in front of people in the presence of Jesus. And uh, there was a especially small group this past week, but maybe that was really what I needed because I had um, I, that morning. I had just been in a panic about um, any number of deadlines that I was missing, any number of things that I was just. I was just feeling irresponsible, and that's like a that's a thing just for me in my own story. Of how uh, how I've gotten to where I am is uh, it just it just happens that that's like one of my weak points it's really easy to make me feel like I'm just irresponsible and, um, and like someone's going to figure it out and then no one will like me anymore. I mean, it's childish and silly to be like 40 years old and still feel that way, but I do. And I was just like deep in that place on Wednesday morning, uh, our home groups on Wednesday night. And, um, you know, as we went around and just shared sort of what we might be praying for one another, it was just I'm sort of lower leverage sort of moment, but it was really uh, important for me to to go ahead and still take the risk and say, hey, like this is where I'm at. Um, Here are these these deadlines. Here are these things. Here are these commitments. Here's like the long list of people. I just feel like I'm failing again and again and again and again. Um, And I'm just feeling like I'm just like irresponsible and people are going to figure it out and uh and we prayed and um and it was really really powerful to be in the presence of to be vulnerable in the presence of people in the presence of jesus i could be further vulnerable vul- further vulnerable by now telling you that um i have since found that i was actually like i'm well Part of my, like, internalizing of this is, like, I'm so irresponsible that I didn't even know that I was wrong about some of those deadlines. Anyway. um, But, like, no, but I've sort of seen, like, the Lord work in these really interesting ways since then. Um, One of the things I was feeling really terrible about having submitted only, like, that very day, I got a response the very next day. And it ended up being, oh, my goodness, uh, that was the perfect time to have sent this thing. Not that two months ago might have been better. All right. Often the thing that we fear most, often the thing I fear most, is that somehow I'm gonna sink the good things that God wants to do. That that fear is first of all irrational, because that's like not how like God and me or God and you like works. Like, like uh, with all due respect, you don't have what it takes to like trip up God's plans and purposes. <laughs> Uh, even if you wanted to, but but but, but second of all, it, that fear is more likely to incrementally be the result of seeking to avoid vulnerability than by daring to embrace it. That is, the, to the extent to which we can sort of a little bit mess up what, like, or like find ourselves sort of wandering away from the best of what God might want for us, I think we're more likely to end up doing that, um, not because of whatever fear we might have, but if we're sort of walking away, shrinking away from the sort of vulnerability to share that and open it up and let Jesus sort of do what he might do with those fears, with those concerns, before people in the presence of Jesus. The worship team can come on up and um, I'll just leave us with a A few questions for reflection. You've seen all of these before. They've been on previous slides. What are you seeking? I just think that's an important question always to be asking ourselves. What would it be be worth being vulnerable about your limits, about being wrong, about your fears, in order to find what you're after? I think the answer is yes, but I think you need to think through each. I think each of us needs to think through each of those things in order to come to that place. And finally, what would it look like to let people in your life know that you're seeking Jesus' correction in your life? I just want to pray for us, and then Patrick will come and lead us into communion. Holy Spirit, we need your intervention. We are not enough. We not have it all together. We know that none of that is a surprise to you, but it doesn't make it any easier for us to, to, to say it and to admit it. Would you give us, Lord, opportunities to be vulnerable with one another in your presence? We need your presence. We need your presence in our community, to restore us to community, to make us the sort of community that you want us to be. So come, have your way. Give us courage. Give us daring to to, to be vulnerable in ways that we might otherwise shrink back from. And more than anything, would you just show us the beauty of your goodness, of what lies before us, for the sake of which we, we repent and we turn would you allow us to just be so enamored with who, with who you are and what you have for us with the beauty and all surpassing glory of your kingdom that we would just run eager to be embraced by you come and have your way